Hello, everyone. Welcome to a special MLK Day edition of Pneumaturgical. As we journey on in ordinary time, exploring Jesus' identity from the Gospel of John, we will draw today from the prophetic well of Martin Luther King Jr. in our reflections. People today are hungry in our world. Food insecurity literally is an issue for many children, even in the United States, where we are surrounded by excess. In parts of our world, starvation is a present reality. And then there is the deep spiritual type of hunger around us. We are faced with hopelessness, death, uncertainty, chaos, violence. People are starving to find something real that will give us genuine peace. Let's go in search today of something that will fill our hunger pains. This is Pneumaturgical. I would like to open up today with a short prayer from Martin Luther King Jr. So, will you pray with me? God, help us as individuals and as a world to hear it now before it is too late. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's justice, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Amen. As we come today seeking God's kingdom, Let us hear now from the Holy Scriptures. John chapter 6, we begin at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him has God the Father set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him who has, whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. 
all that the Father gives me will come to me. And him who comes to me, I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This is God's word, the inspired bread which comes to us with life. Thanks be to God for his word today. John chapter 6 contains quite a bit of action. Before this conversation we pick up on in verse 25, Jesus has fed a multitude of people and then walked on water. So it's just a greatest hits collection of miracles here in John chapter 6. While the whole event of walking on water is witnessed only by the disciples It is noted that the miraculous feeding of the crowd is something that all of those present would have witnessed. I mean, 
the disciples go out among the crowd, you know, canvassing for food, and find only a single young boy, nameless, who carries with him five barley loaves and two small fish. So imagine like five Ritz crackers and some sardines. And again, it's interesting that the identity of the boy is not as important as what he carries with him. But it doesn't seem to be enough food for the giant crowd. Even the disciples are a little skeptical about it. Yet, in the presence of all these people, Jesus gives thanks over this meager meal and then breaks it and feeds everyone with some left over. And we'll kind of circle back to that a little bit later. Where we pick up in John 6, I imagine it it is some of this same crowd from earlier coming back to Jesus, people who had observed the miraculous feeding earlier, and they have in mind to set him up as a king by force. So maybe the people intend to produce a violent uprising, an insurrection of sorts, and to forcibly install Jesus as ruler. I promise I'm not trying to make this scripture sound like recent events. Yet even though the crowd has already witnessed the miraculous, they ask for more. They want Jesus to produce miraculous signs, like a magician on demand, I guess. But Jesus turns things around on them, and it it gets a little complicated Jesus goes back to the heritage of the Jewish people, back into the events of another miraculous feeding where God provided manna in the wilderness for God's people after they were delivered from Egypt. God would miraculously rain down bread from heaven so the people would not go hungry. But as Jesus goes on to say, even when people would eat this manna, they would eventually get hungry again. That's why it had to keep coming. And then Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now, this doesn't go over so well with the crowd. They seem to be getting a little confused, somewhat uncertain. They they complain. (laughs) How can this guy, Jesus, make such a claim about himself? I mean... Isn't this just like Mary and Joseph's son? And then to really push the envelope, Jesus says, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood to have eternal life. Now, we're just getting into some bizarre stuff here. (laughs) The crowd is arguing. These same people who wanted to forcibly make him king are now kind of second-guessing their plan. Maybe Jesus sounds, um, you know, a couple of fries short of his Happy Meal at this point, so to speak. I suppose if you read John's Gospel from the beginning, it shouldn't be a surprise that these folks, Jesus' own folks, don't get it. Yet, I don't know that we get it sometimes either. We don't hang around and hear Jesus out long enough to understand what it is he's saying. We simply want to see the miraculous, 
Um, we simply want to just have all the uh, the big and the bang of um, of believing in Jesus. We we simply, out of our own force, want to make him the authority rather than letting him speak for himself and really hearing what it is he's saying. Um, and of course, many disciples walk away from Jesus after this conversation. If you continue on in John 6, it's those that stick around, though, who come to understand what kind of bread Jesus really is, how he can fill up a hunger inside of us and in the entire world. Martin Luther King Jr., he understood the reality of who Jesus was. He pursued the truth of Jesus in the face of the hardest realities. And because of that, he came to understand something about the hunger inside of people, inside of the entire world. And more than that, Martin Luther King Jr. had tasted of the bread that came down from heaven, the Son of God. The legacy of MLK is this prophetic voice that calls us back to the heavenly banquet table to feast upon the bread of eternal life. It's this prophetic voice that calls for us to hear those who are knocking at the door in this midnight hour in which we are living, looking for the bread that truly satisfies. I would like to read from uh, one of MLK's sermons where he masterfully uses this image of bread from a parable of Jesus in Luke 11 where one comes knocking at midnight for three loaves of bread. So let us hear from these uh, wonderful, incredible words preached by Martin Luther King Jr., Although this parable is concerned with the power of persistent prayer, this being the parable in Luke 11, it may also serve as a basis for our thought concerning many contemporary problems and the role of the church in grappling with them. It is midnight in the parable. It is also midnight in our world. And the darkness is so deep that we can hardly see which way to turn. It is midnight within the social order. On the international horizons, nations are engaged in a colossal and bitter contest for supremacy. Two world wars have been fought within a generation, and the clouds of another war, war are dangerously low. Man now has atomic and nuclear weapons that could within seconds completely destroy the major cities of the world. Yet the arms race continues and nuclear tests still explode in the atmosphere and the grim prospect that the very air we breathe will be poisoned by radioactive fallout. Will these circumstances and weapons bring the annihilation of the human race? When confronted by midnight in the social order, we have in the past turned to science for help. And little wonder... <laughs> On so many occasions, science has saved us. When we were in the midnight of physical limitation and material inconvenience, science lifted us to the bright morning of physical and material comfort. 
When we were in the midnight of crippling ignorance and superstition, science brought us to the daybreak of the free and open mind. When we were in the midnight of dread plagues and diseases, science through surgery, sanitation, and the wonder drugs ushered in the bright day of physical health, thereby prolonging our lives and making for greater security and physical well-being. How naturally we turn to science in a day when the problems of the world are so ghastly and ominous. But alas, science cannot now rescue us, for even the scientist is lost in the terrible midnight of our age. Indeed, science gave us the very instruments that threaten to bring universal suicide. So modern man faces a dreary and frightening midnight in the social order. This midnight in man's external collective is paralleled by midnight in his internal individual life. It is midnight within the psychological order. Everywhere paralyzing fears harrow people by day and haunt them by night. Deep clouds of anxiety and depression are suspended in our mental skies. More people are emotionally disturbed today than at any other time of human history. The popular clergyman preaches soothing sermons on how to be happy and how to relax. Some have been tempted to revise Jesus' command to read, Go ye into all the world, keep your blood pressure down, and lo, I will make you a well-adjusted personality. All of this is indicative that it is a midnight within the inner lives of men and women. It is also midnight within the moral order. At midnight, colors lose their distinctiveness and become a sullen shade of gray. Moral principles have lost their distinctiveness. For modern man, absolute right and wrong are a matter of what the majority is doing. Right and wrong are relative to likes and dislikes and the customs of a particular community. We have unconsciously applied Einstein's theory of relativity, which properly described the physical universe to the moral and ethical realm. Midnight is the hour when men desperately seek to obey the 11th commandment, thou shalt not get caught. According to the ethic of midnight, the cardinal sin is not is to be caught and the cardinal virtue is to get by. It is all right to lie, but one must lie with real finesse. It is all right to steal if one is so uh, dignified that if caught, the charge becomes embezzlement, not robbery. It is permissible even to hate if one so dresses his hating in the garments of love that hating appears to be loving. The Darwinian concept of the survival of the fittest has been substituted by a philosophy of the survival of the slickest. This mentality has brought a tragic breakdown of moral standards and the midnight of moral degradation deepens. As in the parable, so in our world today, the deep darkness of midnight is interrupted by the sound of a knock. On the door of the church, millions of people knock. 
in this country, the role of church members is longer than ever before. This numerical growth should not be overemphasized. We must not be tempted to confuse spiritual power in large numbers. Jumboism, as someone has called it, is an utterly fallacious standard for measuring positive power. An increase in quantity does not automatically bring an increase in quality. A large membership does not necessarily represent a correspondingly increased commitment to Christ. Almost always the creative, dedicated minority has made the world better. But although a numerical growth in church membership does not necessarily reflect a concomitant increase in ethical commitment, millions of people do feel that the church provides an answer to the deep confusion that encompasses their lives. It is still the one familiar landmark where the weary traveler by midnight comes. It is the one house which stands where it has always stood, the house to which the man traveling at midnight either comes or refuses to come. Some decide not to come, but the many who come and knock are desperately seeking a little bread to tide them over. And as Martin Luther King Jr. goes on to speak, he talks about uh, the folks who come to the door of the church knocking, looking for uh, the loaf of faith. They look for uh, the bread of hope, and they look for the bread of love. And of course, as MLK goes on uh, in this sermon, it's just incredible how relevant it is still is to our time. He, of course, speaks about um, the, the struggles for uh, equality among races and ethnic groups and just in society in general. And of course, we still live, it would seem, in the midst of of a time where inequity uh, is so obvious uh, among us. It seems that we ourselves, just like as, as uh, MLK spoke here, this, was, this sermon was first preached in the 1960s, and here we are roughly 50 years later, we are still living in a midnight moment. As Martin Luther King illustrates, it is in the midnight times that people come to the door of the church knocking, looking for bread that will fill their hunger pains. As King illustrates, people come looking for the loaves of faith, hope, and love. And the church is the place where there is always and should always be more than enough bread from heaven to fill hungry and empty lives both physically and spiritually. We don't have to give in to the violence of our times to offer something substantial. We must simply be faithful to break the bread of Christ and to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples that none of the bread that he has miraculously made appear to feed the multitude should be wasted. We likewise must not waste any of our energy chasing endless myths or conspiracies. 
people are knocking at the door. They are seeking the bread of life. Let us not hoard it for ourselves. Let us not waste it in false witness, but let us offer the bread of heaven, the one who is faith, hope, and love, that the hunger pains of the world would be filled. Let us pray today. Eternal God, Father, Son, Spirit, you provide the bread of heaven in the wilderness of life. You call for the hungry to come that they may eat and be satisfied. We are blessed, Lord, if we hunger for the righteousness and justice of God. We are blessed, Lord, if we hunger to share with the world the broken body of Christ for all. Holy Spirit, remind us that we hold in our hands the bread that has come down from heaven. Remind us that we hold in our hearts the good news that will fill the hungry. When those who are hopeless and tired come to our doors in the midnight hour, Lord, may we open them and welcome all to eat at the table that Christ has prepared, even in the presence of a hostile world. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. Hey folks, I'm glad that you have joined me on this special MLK edition of Pneumaturgical. Um, I would be so grateful if you would... Um, you know, leave me a, a comment or a review on on this podcast on whatever platform um, you're listening on. And if you uh, could visit pneumaturgical.com, you can subscribe there to receive updates about new episodes. Um, I'm looking at doing some things with some special guests coming up and uh, maybe starting to share some different resources out. So please visit pneumaturgical.com, sign up and subscribe. Uh, Again, I am Chris Rouse. I'm glad to be joining uh, with you each week. And uh, music that is provided for this podcast uh, is original recordings from Sean Perkinson. So thank you to Sean uh, for the music of Pneumaturgical. May you have a blessed MLK day.